Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. Uh, I'm Lewis Keynes and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to encourage and support everybody regardless of role, rank, responsibility or wherever you work or wherever you practice to be better and to listen, to learn, to share and to be willing to improve. I'm joined as ever by my friend in the desert, Alan. How are you doing, Alan? Yeah, good. Thank you, Lewis. And we'll continue to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses Real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And as ever, we, um, we're learning as we go. Um, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know it's raw, um, but we, we're proud of the way that we're going and the progress we're making and we practice what we preach. If you do have any feedback, whether constructive or whether positive, please let us know. Uh, we're active on Twitter. You can also find our episodes on IGTV, on YouTube, and also at theinfinitelearners.com. Um, Alan, let's get cracking. Yeah, let's get your pens and papers ready. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. Greg Dreyer is the co-founder of MyMove, which is a, a physical activity tracking app currently being used by over 130 schools across 20 countries to celebrate and support over 60,000 students' physical activity journeys. Greg was head of PE in three London schools with extensive experience in PE and sport, teaching three-year-olds all the way through to postgraduates. His mission is to bring all forms of physical activity and its benefits to young people, to break down barriers, transform teaching and coaching, to ensure practitioners in the field have the knowledge, skills, and understanding to deliver developmental, learner-centered, inclusive practices. So welcome to the show, Greg, and tell us a bit more about the inspiration for my move. Oh, well, um, so... Uh, it's basically, basically inspired by my career, and I don't know if it was inspired by my career, but it was born out of the frustrations of my career, um, which is probably not a very positive way to start the conversation. But um, <laughs> I'm acutely aware that, um, uh, and it kills me to be honest, that we're having uh, at the same conversations as a as a subject area um, than that we that I had when I came into the profession, and uh, that's not to say some things haven't moved on. Uh, I think some people were doing some brilliant stuff, but the generally the benefits of physical activity, the things that we all feel so strongly about, are still the preserve of, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll say it straight out: they're still the preserve of kids with the most privileges. However, those privileges are presenting themselves, not just necessarily socioeconomic privileges, but it can it manifest themselves in all sorts of ways. So not enough kids are developing a deep love for what we want them to buy into. Our goal in, in, in PE and youth sport, and I, I put the two together, I can't see any difference these days. Our goal is really straightforward. We want the kids to get into physical activity. I hardly ever come across a school, a teacher, a department that doesn't make some reference to lifelong participation. And that what we do in school is meant to set the kids up long term and um, they're meant to reap all these wonderful benefits from it. And the, the, the reality is, uh, no matter whose figures you go to, um, World Health Organization, huge report, November 2019, looking at how active are teenagers. And it, it's depressing and it depresses me that we're not winning. And the key part of the puzzle seems to be knowledge. We need knowledge. We need insight. It needs to be about each and every young person. So our solutions are typically 
throw new stuff out, throw new programs, throw more money at it. Some of the programs are actually reinvention of old programs. When you get to a certain age, you see the stuff coming around second, third time. And, and people older than me have seen it even longer. So the, the intervention programs, for example, to get girls into physical activity, something I, I feel very strongly about. You know, we have seen them before. Um, but what we have never done is really focused on, well, what's the experience of each young person? How do we know? And a few years ago, it struck me that, um, you know, it's tantamount to McDonald's not knowing how many burgers they're selling or Apple not knowing how many computers they're selling. We put all of this energy and input into what we do. Some of it, as I said, is absolutely off the scale brilliant, but we got no way of getting the feedback loop. And that just seemed to me to be bonkers. So the, the driver was, let's utilize tech. I'm fascinated by the way young people use tech. I'm really curious about things like, what. why did something like Fortnite get millions and millions of people um, uh, using, using their platform? Why do millions of kids use Instagram? What is it that they're getting out of it? And can we use the same sort of thought processes to get kids into physical activity? So yeah, that's where, that's where my move comes from. And uh, it's been a fascinating journey, really has. Greg, start from the beginning for us. Why, why is it important for kids to be active? It might sound like a ridiculous question for anybody that knows anything about children, education, pedagogy or activity, but, but start yeah. right at the beginning for us. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant question, actually, and I don't think we can ever move away from it. And now, after being in, the, in this uh, field for uh, 30 years, yep, um, I know I don't look it and all of that, but yeah, 30 years I've been in, in PE. And um, now I would answer that as to say, it's not, it's not for us to say. And I feel very, very strongly. It's not for us to say why it's important. And I'll expand on that a little bit. We, we asked that question, you know, I'm, it, it, I'm, as well as running my move, I'm also a director of a centre for PE, Sport and Activity, which um, uh, is, sits at Kingston University. We do various things there and uh, we do a lot of input, for example, on, on primary teacher education. So that's one of our key questions that we do a lot with primary trainees, a lot with primary in service. And, you know, we get this long list of answers. Our oh, physical activity it is the panacea to basically every social and physical ill. It's a, a massive health driver. It's it develops character. It develops this, that, and the other, everything. <clears throat> and I'm sure it's a discourse that, you know, you and most of your listeners are very, very familiar with. And many people feel very strongly about it. So that, that forms your why. And I know, you know, reading your stuff, the why is really central to, to, to your thinking and your work. So the dominant whys tend to be around health uh, and the health outcomes, the physical and mental health outcomes. So here, here's my problem with it. And, uh, you know, by all means, jump in and shout me down or, or whatever. When we look at adults who have brought physical activity into their life, in a central way, in an important way. Um, most of us didn't get into and do not do physical activity for health reasons. So to message health as a main driver of physical activity for young people seems to be that we, we're, missing, we're missing the crux of it. Um, I, I often make the comparison to nectarines because it happens to be my favorite fruit. Um, and, uh, you know, nectarine, I think, is just like a, a little miracle, a package of miracle. And it's, it's, it's full of like, juice and it's sweet and it's beautiful. And 
what we give the kids is like just the pip in the middle, the stone in the middle. Like we eat all the fruit and we benefit from the fruit. The, the wonderful experiences that we've had from physical activity that are subjective. Your experiences might be different to mine, who might be different to my friend who goes rock climbing or whatever he does. And so we eat the fruit and then we throw the pip at the kids and say, oh, oh by the way, it's really good for you. No, that's not the driver. It's, it might be an outcome. You know, I've, I've got lots of physically active friends who are actually in very poor health because of their physical activity people who have done contact and collision sports, you know, I think you're pretty hard stretched to say that that's actually good for you. You know, playing second row or whatever it is, or even front row in, in rugby union, I, I, I can't work out how that is possibly good for you. It seems one of the most crazy things in the world to do. But would they change it? No, because what are they in it for? They, they've got their whole social world. They've got the, the thrill of the challenge. A lot of people I know who, that was their main focal point of the week. It literally held them together all week. The thought of, you know, they started thinking about Saturday on, on Monday. And they, they still couldn't walk from the previous Saturday. So you know, people do do sport and physical activity for such a raft of reasons. And it's that strong emotional pull. And so for us to keep saying, oh, it avoids uh, coronary disease and, and the risk of diabetes. I just don't think that floats the boats of 11 year olds. I, I really don't. Well, there's an 11-year-old on the recent BBC News advert that disagreed with you. I don't know if you saw that. Um, the um, one with, with Jason Robinson doing a, a short sprint across the tennis courts and, and, beating, uh, and beating all the, uh, the primary students. And then a young lady that, that shared with us that um, she liked physical education because it lowered her blood pressure, which, you know, before I tell you my thoughts, tell me yours. What were your thoughts when you saw that? You clearly have. Yeah, you put me on the spot there. Uh, what do I think of it? Well, um, a, a very, very good friend of mine has um, uh, landed herself in hot water, as in uh, blocked on Twitter by certain people who, who are, are quite sort of a body that's quite influential because she flagged up a critique of that script. Now, I will leave it to listeners who have seen the um, uh, the, the piece on the BBC News to, um, let's put it this way, I've been working with young people and children my whole career. It's not something I've ever heard. So it did make me wonder. I wonder if like sh that might have been written for her. I don't know. I don't know. I've got no evidence one way or the other, but it's, it, it seemed to be a rather strange thing. For, I think she was nine, actually, that kid. So, yeah, I've never heard nine-year-olds talk about blood pressure. I think there's probably a much deeper issue. Why has a nine-year-old got high blood pressure? And if she said that on national TV, the, the the people who care and love for that child should probably have had quite a, quite a self-examination, really, and figure out what on earth are we doing to this kid? <laughs> I, I I can be a bit more controversial because I like it. I like getting I like getting blocked on Twitter and stuff like that. <laughs> but that is absolute rubbish. If I ask my if I ask my eleven-year-olds why they go and play sport or do, why they love PE, they, that would be the very last thing. They would never even think of that. That wouldn't even be in their vocab. They play because they enjoy it, because they're with their friends. Can you, can you give us what you think of those, those real top stuff that kids, why kids play sport? Why are they well, we know, don't we? Yeah, we know. I mean, the FA asked thousands of kids when they were doing their youth review and that you, you hit the nail on the head. They actually also include, very regularly they include, they like making progress. 
they like getting better. Kids like learning stuff. So th this really brings me back to a, a theme that we've been developing in our, our small team at CPs or at Kingston for over this year. And it's like, it's just stay in our lane. You know, we're teachers, we're educators. Now we don't have to veer into being pseudo nutritionists, pseudo uh, fitness professionals, uh, or, and, and, and likewise, you know, we, we need to define our lane so that pseudo fitness professionals don't come into our lane. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we don't work with. I, I thought, I thought uh, one of your previous guests, uh, uh, Susie, uh, I thought she put it brilliantly on the podcast that she put out in the the EMP podcast in the at the height of lockdown, and she was talking about you know the cog and and that the whole industry needs to work together, whatever that industry is. I'm not sure that's the right word, but anyway, everyone needs to work together. But at the centre of it, just the same as in medicine, the the teacher should be at the centre of that. So. Um, uh, you know, and indeed, you know, what the, 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 the piece that Lewis just mentioned, who was at the centre of it? And this is why our lane gets so confused. At the centre of that was an international rugby player, retired rugby player. And I'm looking at that thinking, I wonder how many lessons you've taught, Jason. I really wonder. And throughout my career, well, I've seen loads of these elite athletes come into to this space. Kelly Holmes was in this space for years. There was a brilliant teacher TV uh, where Kelly Holmes did actually take a lesson. And I think it was the first lesson that she ever taught. And, you know, as a, as a, a teacher and a teacher educator, you're looking at that with, it was just like face plant city. It's like, what on earth are you doing, Kelly? You know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of stepping on the track of 800 meters in the Olympic final. And you know what? Stay out of my sports hall, unless you want to come into my sports hall with an open mind and look to learn, just the same as I would love to know what Kelly Holmes was doing to prepare for Olympic glory. Uh, it's a learning experience. Don't come parachuting in with gold medals and say, because of the gold medals, I know how to work pedagogically with young people very effectively, because I will challenge that till, till I, well, forever. <laughs> is, is it the profile of, of, excuse me, those international athletes and, and high-profile sportsmen and women that's going to support PE and physical activity get better. So the, if we unpick that, and uh, you know, I, I love the work of a guy called Mike Weed who works down in Canterbury. And he, he uh, first came across him around 2012. Uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant academic and he was commissioned to look at Olympic legacy. Do you remember the whole 2012 Inspire a Generation? And I heard him present on it and he blew me away. It was just so clear. And he said, let's just examine inspiration i mean there's a few words that litter physical education and youth sport passion and inspiration and he just said who's inspiring who and he was really trying to do a deep dive on it and being an academic he was then saying well and what evidence do we have for the inspiration so and again you know come fast forward eight years we're still really holding on to that with jason robinson you know and please i've got no beef with jason robinson he you know uh, he scored some wonderful tries and it seems like his heart's in the right place. You know, I, I've never met him. I, I really don't want to be demonising of anyone. Uh, so we, I'm trying to keep this on the sort of professional level. Let's look at what, what's going on. And why would Jason Robinson or any other high-profile sports performer be uh, exerting influence in physical education? The assumption there is that the route for physical education, and again, shout at me if you think I'm getting this wrong, that physical education is there as a pathway into performance sport. And the, 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 uh, the measure of excellence in performance sport is if you win a lot, 
So and I, I think that's a, a, a problematic assumption. Yes, performance sport is wonderful for some young people. It really is. You know, it was wonderful for me. I dare say it was wonderful for you. It would, tends to be wonderful for a lot of people who go into physical education uh, to teach. But it, if we're seeing anything, physical education, and it goes back to that why, why are we doing it? Kids need to engage with it, and, and they do engage with it in lots of different ways. And we shouldn't have this hierarchy of what's more valid and what's less valid. So if you're, if you're a particularly uh, effective, competitive performer why should that be of higher status than a young person who is finding a real commitment to a non-competitive form of physical activity? I don't know if they're really committing to Tai Chi or they're really committing to uh, social activities with their friends. You know, my 15 year old has uh, you know, really got into skateboarding uh, as, as many thousands of kids have done over lockdown um, and I'm fascinated in getting a glimpse into what he does. He goes down to the South Bank with his friends and it's a completely social scene. And the, 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 the sign of success, when he comes home, I say, how did you get on? Did you, did you have a good time? And he says, yeah, I've, I've almost got this trick done. And that, that's it. It's all like, I guess, what pedagogically we would call criteria-based. Uh, the progression and the, the sign of success is, are you mastering the, the stunts and the tricks? Not are you mastering them better than someone else? Um, now, again, you know, he can he can transfer, like many young people, um, between different forms of physical activity. So, like, right now, as we speak, he's on his way down to uh, rugby practice at his school. So he's he's getting lots of benefits from lots of different types of experiences. The, the Mike Weed's work was really indicating that elite sports people are inspirational for young people who are in that world so the messages the values that they are uh putting forward young people who are in that world who might have aspirations of that world they can connect with them but there's an awful lot of young people who who don't i've seen elite athletes present to a cohort of kids in school and i was really interested looking at the the, the responses of the uh, i think they were year eights actually at the time there was a whole year group. There was like 150 kids in, a, in an auditorium listening to a gold medal badminton player. And I spotted half, of, half a dozen of them who literally fell asleep. Now, yeah, okay, you can have conversations about, well, that's a bit rude. You've got a guest in. But it also really made me think, why have you fallen asleep? This guy was presenting best he could with, with multimedia videos of him running up and down mountains in snow and all the rest of it. And for, for some of us, it's like Rocky-esque. You know, the music was coming on. He was at the top, you know, finishes with the gold medal. It's super inspirational. But not those kids. They didn't connect to it in the slightest. So Mike Weed talks about a festival effect and a demonstration effect. And I think we miss what he refers to as a festival effect, which is much more communal, much more community-based, much more about togetherness, much more about your peers, much more about your ecosystem, rather than very elite performance. So the, the sort of message, if I'm understanding this right, is you're almost putting water in a bucket that's already full. For those kids that are really into sport anyway, they don't, they don't need, it might be fantastic for them to see a, a real-life sports person at their school, but they don't need that for inspiration to continue. They've already got that. And for those children that, that don't connect with that, they're the ones that don't already connect with PE. So all you're doing is widening that gap and making that more difficult for them to actually engage. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And and it's also very narrow because it's the bucket that it's a very specific bucket that is full. So, you know, I might relate to a games player, I might relate to a dancer, because you know, they're 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 areas of physical activity that I might be interested in. You know, I, I love watching uh high level gymnastics, but I watch it because I'm in awe of it. I'm never gonna watch someone, you know, be in a push-up position on the high rings you know, and push-up position on high risk, their feet are not on anything. Like, how is that possible? So I watched that in awe. And uh, funny enough, of late, I have, during lockdown, with the gyms being shut, I've been going to this calisthenic uh, outdoor gym. So I have actually been trying to work through the progressions um, of how you perform some of that stuff. But, you know, I, I watch it in awe, not not because I'm like, yeah, right, where's my nearest gym? I'm off. You know, I'm going to try and do that. So, yeah, I think... Um, we're very good at adding resourcing, and I would include uh, uh, infusing the kids who are already in. And again, you know, this this takes deep reflection on our part because why are we infusing those kids? Is it because they're most like us? You know, and we've been talking about mini me syndrome in, in physical education for for a long time you know we're great with the kids who are most like us and most like us might mean their interests you know do we walk in and have bants with kids about football results of you know who did the blaze play on the weekend or united lost again you know we can connect hey, with those on, kids <laughs> <laughs> you know we connect with them we connect with them culturally they're in our world they think the same things are important. They might look similar to us. They might have similar, you know, body shapes to us. They might move in the same ways as us, you know. And why do we connect so well to them? I mean, you might say, well, that's a that's a natural law of attraction. But it might also be they're actually fueling our egos. You know, how do we reach out to the kids who are least like us? What does our curriculum look like? What does our pedagogy look like? What does our what do our conversations in the corridor look like? How do we find to ways it into that circle to say to to that kid, you know, you're doing great in PE. I really love the whatever it is you're doing, whatever we think is good in PE. Um, and it, and while we think good in PE is you are moving towards being a higher level performer, we're not going to break that cycle. There's there's a current danger, isn't there? There's a narrative between a, a lot of of educational mediums at the moment that there's this sort of perception that sport's the enemy and now we don't have sport anymore oh it's lovely we can actually focus on on developing children in PE is is that the right perception to have what what's wrong about that I can see that it isn't <laughs> yeah so a lot of this stuff uh is always presented in binaries isn't it that oh competition's good or competition's bad um uh, sport is good sport is bad and of course one of the definitions of sport is that it has to be competitive although youth sport has got different outcomes. Um, so if we break the binary, I think, I think it's just the wrong conversation. Uh, you know, I'd use the analogy, if, you, if you're going to buy a pair of shoes, like, is it the, is it the brown shoes or the, or the black shoes? No, the first thing is, do the shoes fit? Are the shoes fit for purpose? Are the shoes comfortable? And if we stay in our lane as educators, we've got a very simple benchmark when we're analysing sport competition and how that's presented. And after all, they're just mediums for us, aren't they? And I've heard you guys write about this and talk about this. The, the, the activity is just the medium for learning stuff. So if, if, it's, if it's appropriate, the, the simple question is, if I'm presenting 
this activity in this way and this way involves competition, does it support the learning and the progress of the learners in front of me? If the answer is yes, brilliant, and I probably should have emphasized, does it support the learning and the progress of all the learners in front of me? And if the answer is yes, brilliant. And if the answer is no, we've got to do something about it because otherwise we're in very unjustifiable grounds as a teacher. You're actually doing something that doesn't support learning. Now, of course, you can take the same activity within the same lesson, and many people do, and I'm, I'm sure you, you guys do, and kids will get very different meanings out of that. So if you talk, I don't know, table tennis, um, some of that class would be ready and if the learning outcome was about uh, can we develop our ability to uh, uh, make our partner move, um, so hit away from our partner, uh, or can we add disguise to our shots you you can work towards those learning outcomes using competitive activities learning activities for some of those kids and for other children in that group they might be working much more collaboratively and cooperatively it doesn't seem to me to be the um the most challenging thing in the world i, I don't know how do you hear that yeah <laughs> it's classic differentiation greg isn't it to be quite honest yeah, but it's differentiation that starts with not what level of ability are they at, but knowing what's motivating them, what what do they find rewarding, what do they find comfortable. Uh, don't again, don't hear me wrong. I think you know, are we developing a, 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 a kids who find comfort in a little bit of discomfort? I think that's really important. That whole metacognition stuff. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the teacher saying we're going to have a lesson today and some of it's going to be really hard. But our success criteria is all around how are you going to respond to that challenge? Um, so when I say comfortable, are they comfortable in uh, a learning environment that where they might experience a little bit of discomfort? But, yeah, I think it is, it is differentiation in a broad, in a very broad sense. Yeah. I'd also, I'd also come back around to something you mentioned earlier in terms of diversity. Every student that you teach has got a different lens on the world. They've got different previous experiences and a different perception of what they enjoy and what they don't. And I think giving children the choice is great. I think there's sometimes a tendency in PE where choice is just choice for choice's sake. Um, but, yeah. but actually, if you can give children choice on that delivery model and that vehicle, but around the same maybe objectives or concept or theme, then you might be on to a winner because you're actually tapping into those different diverse thoughts and opinions and ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that comes back to why we, why we developed my move because choice, as you said, can be not which activity do you want to engage in, but how do you want to engage with this activity? And that goes back to you, you know, your first like the great question, why is physical activity important? Well, it, it's not it's not the me who it's important to it's why is it important to you what do you want to get out of it going back to that fa youth review i want to get i want to make progress i want to have skill development some some learners will want to make progress towards better performance where they do want to be winning more consistently nothing wrong with that whatsoever other people want to um uh make strong social bonds with their friends and to have shared experiences and, you know, that might mean that uh, they, they might show resilience and determination together, but they might also laugh together occasionally. Um, that's how that's what they want to get out of that table tennis lesson or whatever activity is going on. So giving creating the space where 
options where all of those are fine. They're all absolutely, but the key is, and I think this is the key that we need to get across and work really hard to get across to the learners. However it is you're engaging with it, there needs to be progress. We're not just, we're not just having like glorified recreational time here. We're in a lesson, there needs to be progress. How progress is defined, well, that could be co-constructed. So if you have got those students who want to engage to develop social bonds, um, then what does progress look like to them? What does it look like to me as a teacher? Can we arrive at common ground here? Can we look at how assessment can then um, uh, evolve from that starting point um, rather than you know, trying to squeeze them into a performance route or, or a fitness route? Yeah, I, you're preaching to the converted here, Greg. This, this is some amazing yeah. stuff. I mean, I'm on... I'm on a significant amount of notes. <laughs> Nearly filled two sides of A4 already. <laughs> I, I want to come back to obviously we've got the we've got the, the students that are really engaged. What about those 90%? And it probably is up around 90% who are who are not as defined as the sporty students. We we don't like that term, but it still gets used. We're just not sporty. We're just not very good at PE. Yeah, of course. It's horrible, isn't it? It's a horrible term, and we always try and affix that yet to the end of that when they even say that. I'm just not sporty yet. But it's trying to remove that mindset. So what can we do as educators and as leaders to really focus our curriculums on that 90% rather than the 10% that we've talked about earlier? That's a huge, huge question. And I think you've sort of answered the key point for me came in the question. The first thing is let's be really aware of our, our language and let's ensure that our language reflects our values. Now, and I, I happen to think that for most people that it does. So the question, if, if we, if the question for physical educators is how do we reflect, communicate and present our values to young people? What is it that we celebrate? So again, you know, I'm going to come back to the, the app that we're working hard to develop and that's, that's out there. And one of the things that we want to disrupt with that app, app is let's take um, a very typical way of communicating physical education success, which might be a parent newsletter. OK, so they might go out weekly as they do in many schools. They might go out monthly. What is it that the physical education team contribute to that newsletter? The most common thing that I see is photographs of our uh, teams um, with a result underneath it. And sometimes that, that little message underneath is, well done to the year eight girls netball team, who despite their best efforts, came away with a narrow defeat or whatever it was, was the outcome. And again, I really wanted to be clear, I have got no problem with kids engaging in performance sport. My kids engaged with performance sport. I got loads out of performance sport. It was a very central part of my life. But as critical, self-reflective physical educators, as you said, Alan, we have to look at this and say, they're the same blinking kids that we keep celebrating every week. What, so is that really my value? So if anyone who's in this game is genuinely bothered about inclusion, what are our good news stories? So with, with my move, we want to give uh, PE teachers, departments and school communities 
the data, the knowledge, the insight, the information to be able to say, this week we're really celebrating the girls in year nine, 85% of them have uh, taken part in some form of physical activity this week or 60% of them have increased their levels of physical activity over the last four weeks. Now, I don't think I'm talking about anything that's rocket science. What we say on our team, going back to the earlier point, is that we are in this, we get up in the morning to go to work so that young people can develop a love of physical activity. Well, that's, you know, if we're talking about Ofsted Three Eyes, that's our intention we then go around implementing a load of stuff that we think is going to meet that intention we then need to be able to summarize and capture the impact of the implementation and the three you know as we all know should be seamlessly linked so intention kids should fall in love with physical activity or as a very dear friend of mine mark Hurst said physical education is about igniting the spark of enthusiasm for physical activity so if, if that's what we intend to do, how do we celebrate that? How do we monitor the impact? And that goes back to, we have to know, we have to know if the kids are doing this, which, you know, I have a number of conversations at work with students and with in-service teachers and running a, a course at the moment, a level five course with 24 primary school teachers in Surrey. And I said to them, you know, what's the key outcome from your PE program? What's a physically educated child as far as you're concerned? And you know what word comes up so often? They understand. They understand the importance of physical activity. They understand the importance of a healthy, balanced diet. And I'm like, is that really what you want from them? You just, as long as they understand it, tick, job done. It's like, surely we want them in it. We want them to be doing it. We want them to be living it. We want them to be loving it. And it actually throws up a really interesting question, which I'm not sure of the answer. Can you immerse yourself in physical activity without understanding all of that stuff? Uh, whether it be the benefits, the health benefits, even the tactical benefits. I often watch kids uh, performing and think, I wonder if they know, they really understand why they've done that. And does it make any difference? Well, at some point it might do, but for 12 year olds, does it? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm probably going down a rabbit hole there, but yeah, cognition, of course it's important. The ability to think, of course it's important. And it does help us make sense of the whole landscape. But as you said, Alan, and as I firmly, firmly believe, what drives us is what we feel and who, who we are sharing those feelings with. And for some kids, just as a little caveat to that, it's perfectly all right that they're sharing those feelings with nobody. There are many, many adults who like isolated physical activity. They actually get put their running shoes on and go out to get away from people so that they are in their own heads. So it doesn't have to be social. The social could be, I just want to be on my own and I want my own space. And, and that's fine too. So we need to really understand um, how, how kids want to make progress. And so that comes back to language, sporty, high ability, low ability. All of those things can be, really be pulled apart. Then you've got the implementation, the content, what we're doing. I'm not a massive fan of, of what we're doing. I think it's a bit of a distraction of a, of a conversation, if I'm honest. I, I don't really care if the kids are, uh, are, are on the hockey field or if they're doing parkour. They're just, they're just vehicles for learning things. They should be relevant to the, to the kids. I'm not a huge fan 
of student preference dictating the curriculum, um, because I think it's much more interesting to explore if they've got a dispreference, if they've got a dislike, the, the important feedback for us is where are they getting that dislike from? And they can only get that from previous experiences, which would include being told directly, indirectly, that actually you're not very good at this. And that comes back to how we define success. So if success is, well, you, you're winning in this, of course, most kids are going to find out that they're not very good at it, especially when we only give beginners typically a six week unit of work to learn a whole array of skills, one skill per lesson, and then they're meant to get good at it. Well, some of those skills are very, very complex motor movements. You're not going to learn a tennis serve in lesson three of year eight tennis, learn serve, because it's physically impossible. So, of course, those kids are going to go away thinking, actually, I'm a bit, bit pants at this, to be honest. But those kids that do go away and practice it and put in the effort and then, as a result, do start to enjoy it because of the, the different outcome and success and the different interpretation of success that then join a tennis club, that then get the self-fulfilling prophecy of um, representing the school at tennis, that then get praise for representing the school of tennis. That's how that loop starts. And a lot of children never even get into that loop because, as you quite rightly said, you can't, you can't learn in a lesson, you know, learning over an hour is impossible. That takes sleep. It takes development in your brain. It takes time and it takes repetition. So by doing, like you say, one serve lesson in year seven, it isn't going to enlighten a child. And even if they, for whatever reason, really like serve, it's probably not going to be a lesson that they remember in the future and something that they have positive, um, positive uh, memories of. And, and I'm coming around to a question here because I think, that as we talk more around PE activity, sport, and, and where these things fit in, there's certainly some clarity for me that as PE educators, as teachers, as uh, activity leaders, as sports coaches, we can't be all things to all people. We, we, we can't possibly keep everybody happy, but you're involved in teacher education. What, what's out there and what are you practicing at the moment to give your your young ITTs, the opportunity to try and make an impact in that and to try and do that successfully? Well, <laughs> what a good question. So, okay, so we, as you may or may not be aware that, you know, we have to we, we have to live and breathe by teaching standards in teaching education, right? So TS1, teaching standard one in the UK, I don't know if it is the UK, I think it's England and Wales, is high expectations. So can't be all things to all people. Um, I don't know if it's high expectations or just be me being a romantic old fool, but I think we actually have to aspire to that. The day that I think a teacher will go into work and think those group, that group of kids there, no, I've lost them. There's nothing I could do about that. You know, when I started uh, in a school, my, the last school I worked in, um, I was I was head of peer at a school in Tottenham. And uh, a senior teacher said to me, don't worry about those kids. They, they, you know, there's nothing you're going to be able to. And, you know, I understand his intention. He was saying, like, don't spend ages and a huge amount of resourcing. You know, that, that was my red flag. You know, I, that, was, that was my project. Like, can I get through to those kids? I, I'm not saying I succeeded. It was bloody hard. It was really hard. But um, so I, I think we absolutely have to try and keep asking and, and, and striving to make what we're doing relevant to all of the kids who are in front of us. But uh, this again comes in back to our own egos. 
Because if we're smart about this, it's actually not us who are doing the inspiration. We can recruit, um, you know, we, we do a lot of work on our undergraduate degree. One of the modules is around behavior change. Um, and we draw upon uh, nudge theory, um, which is wide, widely used for, uh, well, well, in loads of different domains, but it's widely used by public services, uh, like how to get people to pay their tax. And it's hugely used in health promotion. And, um, uh, and one of the key messages is examine who the messenger is. So this comes back again to who we're putting up on, on, on our display boards. Who are we referring to? Even in very subtle ways, nuanced ways, how many times in a lesson do we refer to elite performers who might serve like this? This is the Serena Williams serve, or, you know, this is the, I'm probably showing my age here, but I think it's still used. You know, this is the Cruyff turn. You know, I don't want to know Cruyff turns. I want to see the little Abdul's turn. I want to see how you turn. Or I want to see Sarah's turn. Or so again, bringing it to them, making making them the beacons. Um, and again, you know, working wisely with your influencers, the kids who do carry high status for whatever reason. And again, I'm not saying this is easy stuff. It's really challenging stuff. But it starts with thinking. Actually, uh, you know, I flagged up earlier that passion. Is, is a hugely overused word in PE. And I, I'm not saying that we don't have passion, but the passion can sometimes get in the way and think that it all has to come from us. It, you know, who does a child in year seven really look up to? Um, they really look up to a child in year eight or nine who's that little bit older, who might come from the same, the same neighbourhood, who might have the same um, ethnic or other background to them. That, that they're really cool in their eyes. You know, uh, a, a, a male teacher who is like super sporty, you know, as Adam was saying, they might not connect. So we have to really look at how do we how do we reach out? How are we going to reach out? And one of the things I've had to really get my head around going into my movies is, you know, looking at learning loads from from commerce and business. Um, which has been a very, very steep learning curve for me. In fact, the whole thing's been a very steep learning curve. And that's one of the reasons why it's really enjoyable. But, um, you know, one of the things that they do is figure out how are we going to get our message succinctly out to people so they understand what we're about and it's clearly, clearly presented to them. And I think that's a great challenge for any PE department. Let's give you that opportunity, Greg, just before we move to our, our little quick fire finishers, just to contextualise my move app for us. Tell us how it works. Tell us what the benefits are and why people should be using it. That is a challenge, but I've been, I've been quite well rehearsed with it. So it <laughs> is an app that uh, schools, it's like Edutech, so the schools get the accounts for the kids. Um, they then have the app on their mobile devices. In a few weeks' time, it will be available on a uh, any device including desktop and laptop but at the moment it's a mobile device they they do their physical activity and they record it um we've just we've just upgraded so that a teacher can actually put in the physical activity that so for example a lesson we don't want the kids to miss recording that so you could put in uh, a recurring event just like scheduling an event um but, and here's the big but for us, we never want the children, the users to be bypassed in the recording of their physical activity. We want them to be engaging with it and reflecting on it. So if, if you put in a message um, on the child's, sorry, if you put in an activity, 
year eight football lesson, then the year eight kids in that class will get a notification on their app and it will say, Mr. Kings has logged an activity for you. And they just tap on it and it won't be recorded until they've said how it feels. They have to record their emotional response to that experience. So they can record in-school activity, out-school activity. It's really simple. Our little strap line for that is whatever you do, my move it. So they just capture all of their activity. The teacher can then log onto the web platform. On the web platform, you've got uh, messaging tools, and we've seen some brilliant ways that teachers are using that to motivate, to celebrate, and to support kids. Um, that will get smarter as we develop it, so it will be automated. So the system will know, for example, that a child has not been active or has not recorded any activity for two weeks, and it might send them uh, a, a, a specifically supportive message about that. Um, so you can message, you can assess. Um, there's a, a particular assessment tool that I wrote which is all about that big picture, what's the intention? So the assessment is related to, is the child developing a physical activity habit based on the data that we have? Um, and of course you can get, you capture everything that the students have logged. We've got a, a, a new dashboard, which means you log on and at a glance, you can see if activity rates in your school by, and you can apply a whole range of filters, year group, gender, Ethnicity is optional, send is optional. Um, so you could apply all of those filters to see what's that, what does activity look like amongst our cohort or amongst our whole student body? Are we moving up, are we moving down? Are some kids dropping off their activity rate? So with that data, you can, two words that we keep coming back to, you can celebrate success, find new success, Success might be going from inactive to slightly active. Success might be supporting others to be active. We can redefine success and we can support um, children who we are not winning with, the children that you just referred to, so that we can be all things to all children. At least we got the data to know, you know what, what our programme is not getting any traction with this group of kids. Right, let's have a conversation. What are we gonna do about it? And that conversation might well include talking to those to those students. And, and then the skill from the school is how they use that knowledge and, and, and what they can do in moving forward. Absolutely. So that's the, the so what question. You know, you've got all of this data, so what? What are you gonna do with it? And that's a big part of our work at the moment. What thinking about um, who are we going to be collaborating with? Because what we want to do, you know, we don't wanna, we want to stay in our lane. We, we, the lane is we want to have an app that allows children to feel supported developing a physical activity journey. What we don't want to do then is get into the whole CPD thing because there are many people out there who are doing very, very high quality CPD. So if, for example, your data is showing that there's a disparity between male participation and female participation, as we develop the app, we will flag up to the teacher these are the providers who can go, can work with you to look at what does girl-friendly physical education look like. So we will just make it very easy for people to get to follow that line of inquiry and reflect on their practice and hopefully improve their practice in supported by CPD providers and, and experts in the field. Sounds exciting. I'm sure there'll be some really cool ideas that come out from that. Yeah, yeah, there already have been. It's... Um, yeah, it's it's been a phenomenal journey, and uh, yeah, there's in fact that Alan read out at the beginning of the the podcast. You know, we're we're up to about eighty 
4,000 young people to log in, log in activity data. And I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. And it's really interesting how many, you know, the kids, the, the children just tap. It's no wearable tech. It's very easy. They tap what they did, where they did it, um, how they felt and how long they did the activity for. And then they just submit it. But they do have an option to free write anything that they want to share and upload a photograph for schools that allow them to do that. And when I read the comments, it really, really emphasizes Look, I'm not a numbers person. I'm, a, I'm a, about the, the children's experiences. And, you know, all the, com all the themes that we've been touching upon, the, the social element comes through so strongly in so many comments. This was great because I was with my friends. Even tiny things like I went for a walk in the park. It was wonderful. It was great to spend time with dad. And these tiny little sentences that really bring home what's going on in that young person's world. Wow. And it sounds really powerful along with that kind of data with the numbers. 84,000 yeah. is a huge data cohort to be able to spot patterns and, and, and yeah. make changes moving forward. Um, Alan, kick us off with the uh, quick fire to finish. Yeah, thanks. I, I, the my takeaway there, Greg, is that redefining of success. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I, it just makes me think back to all the newsletters that you've done over the years, just celebrating <laughs> teams. You think, oh my gosh, I've missed so many kids. <laughs> Never yeah, mind. We've all been there. We've we're all learning been there. all the time. <laughs> we're learning all the time. And, and, and that's why we do this podcast. It's fantastic. So, you, you, an infinite learner, you're clearly an infinite learner. What book are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading, well, it's a bit related. Uh, as, as, as we've discussed, I've become increasingly in, interested in how do we support behaviours. So, I'm actually reading a book uh, called Tiny Habits by a Californian psychology professor called BJ Fogg. And uh, it's very relevant to what we're doing with our app. It's very relevant to how do we support kids um, who might not be active um, because uh, activity can sometimes seem like a huge mountain the way we present it. So, yeah, Tiny Habits, as the name suggests, fascinating read and, uh, yeah, learning loads from it. Great. Well, uh, we'll add that one to the list, Lewis, for, for the Christmas. Yeah, it's good. You'll in yeah, you'll enjoy it. It's very good. Okay, one of my favourites, Greg, three leaders in history who you'd love to go out for a meal with. Well, well, first of all, I'd actually, I'd probably prefer to cook. <laughs> I really enjoy <laughs> cooking. <laughs> and I'd be fascinated to see um, what they made of my uh, culinary delights. Uh, okay, who, historically, um, I'd probably start with Angela Davis, uh, American civil rights activist. I listened to her at Women of the World, who I went with. Uh, I took my daughter to Women of the World in London, and she just blew me away. Uh, what a life that woman's had. And uh, fearless, absolutely fearless in her commitment to what she thinks is right and just. Um, uh, gosh, a few years ago, I was really, uh, I was on an Erasmus project and it was in Thessaloniki in Greece. And uh, every morning I'd run past the statue of Alexander the Great. And I was always really intrigued about, uh, about his life. Um, and, I, you know, the guy was taught by Aristotle. I mean, imagine having Aristotle as your tutor. So <laughs> um, I think I'd invite him round. Uh, uh, similarly, that, 
this is just the humor of, of kids actually this really made me laugh last week that my 15 year olds in a GCSE history class and uh, he's sitting next to a kid called Paddy and Paddy's absolutely hilarious he's not the most on it student and they were doing uh, uh, essay uh, question uh, practices exam paper practices and the teacher said okay so here's a question Paddy how would you approach this what kind of leader was Henry VIII and Paddy sat back and said yeah, he seems like a pretty sound guy, really. So um, <laughs> I, th I think I'd probably invite Henry VIII just so that I could get back to Paddy as to whether he was just not the best examiner. So, so and, the, um, yeah. the big question is then, Greg, you've got Angela Davis, Alexander the Great, yeah. and his yeah. Aris and his Aristotle lessons, and Henry VIII sat around the table. What, what, what do you what do you what do you cook for them, Greg? <laughs> Um, well, they'd, they'd probably have to. My main cuisine, actually, I spent a lot. Uh, a few years ago, I did a lot of work in uh, in India, and uh, but before that, you know, when well, when I was a student teacher, uh, I was teaching PE in a school in Coventry, right in the centre of Coventry, and um, it, it had a, a Indian majority, kids of Indian heritage were in the majority, and I was also teaching a bit of English, and it was we had to give them homework. And I couldn't for the life of me think what homework to give them. So right at the end of the lesson, I panicked and I just said, can you bring in for next lesson uh, your favourite recipe? And um, <laughs> I, I actually ended up with a, some wonderful homemade Indian recipes. And so that triggered my my love of, of Indian cooking. And uh, so, yeah, I'd probably cook some... I don't know if Henry VIII would be into some vegetarian Indian food. Uh, be a bit different from the pig on the spit, wouldn't it? I, I can imagine. I can imagine Henry VIII getting stuck into a, vin, a vindaloo and a, and a big bottle of kingfisher. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, Greg, last one for you. Um, let's imagine you've hired billboard space at the side of a busy road. What what would you write on that billboard space? about peace, oh, sport, leadership, anything you like? Oh, I'd have to go with, um, I'd have to go back to my friend Mark Hurst, who did have written up in his, in his sports hall. Um, in, uh, he worked in the American school in, in London, in Surrey it is. And he wrote up, PE is what you feel, not what you do. And that, that would, I could buy into that. Oh, that's a new one. We've not heard that one before. That's some, learned something again today. Top yeah. man, Greg, thank you very much. I've gone all the way oh, through without so. managing to call you Rosemary by accident and I, I, just, <laughs> I, I just about ruined it. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll get that one. If you're watching on podcasts, um, he's got Rosemary written at the bottom of his screen because he can't change his ID. <laughs> <laughs> the Muppet. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Lewis. <laughs> Guys, uh, search Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube, YouTube and IGTV. We're pleased to announce now we're on all popular pod podcast uh, platforms, if I can get my words out. And we're also active on uh, Twitter. So do get in touch with us if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Um, please visit theinfinitelearners.com for all the latest uh, links and, and, and our episodes and the work that we're doing. And until next time, we'll see you and say a huge thank you to Greg and the best of luck with your journey with the MyMove app. Sounds like a superb little innovation and, and I really hope that that, that moves into uh, really interesting exciting waters going forward thanks a lot Greg yeah, thank thanks. you thanks a pleasure all the best cheers pal <laughs>